Well, can I add my uh, welcome to Stuart? My name's Chris, and I'm the pastor. And uh, we're in the middle of a series looking at the early church and how they governed themselves, how they uh, decided what they were going to do uh, together. This is the second part of uh, a three-part series. We sort of introduced uh, the general theme last time and saw some of the things through the Book of Acts, the way that the church organised themselves. This week we're going to be looking at the subject of, of leadership in the early church, and then next week we're going to be looking at uh, servanthood in the early church. Uh, especially focusing on deacons. As a church, we're having a conversation about what we want to do with deacons, and that's one of the reasons for uh, the series. Now, last week, we saw that the early church had a varying practice, but enduring principles, which leaves us with various possibilities about how we run the church. What we're going to see this evening is that uh, for some of the jobs that they had in the church, they had varying titles for people in church, but really only two roles when you add them together. Maybe three, but we'll come to that uh, when we'll mention it a bit later on. But this week we're focusing on just one of those two roles. The role with many titles and many descriptions, but for now let's call them bishops. No, I'm kidding. Uh, let's call them elders, because uh, that's a bit more common in our circle. So, I think everything's okay. Um, <laughs> so who are these people? Well, we just had that passage read to us from 1 Timothy uh, 3, 1 to 7. And in that passage, really, we see that they are a mature Christian. A mature Christian. Everything that you read in 1 Timothy 3, pretty much everything, is something that you'd expect of a mature believer. The exception being the ability to teach. Uh, We wouldn't expect that of absolutely everybody. But before we get into the role itself, it's worth noting that the Bible has more to say here about what kind of leader than what they actually do. So the big concern in both Timothy and Titus is who is this person? So a church may have somebody who is able to do all the things that we will mention, but if they're not a mature going for it believer, then it's a no-no. And we'll see more of that as we go through. We have many different areas that are mentioned about the way that he looks after his family, the way that he relates to alcohol, the way that he is gentle with other people. But it's worth noting that the standard is not perfection in these areas. It's not saying that a person never has to have done anything wrong, in which case all of us would be disqualified. But it is a faith and a godliness that is growing and showing. What it's saying there is there shouldn't be glaring things that people can point at in that person's life that are wrong. That passage describes the character of that person. And it shows the areas where there might be problems. And the word that it gives for that role in this passage is an overseer. An overseer. Now the Greek word there is episkopes, which is where we get our English word bishop from. Also where we get our English word Episcopalian. And we know though that that is the same role as an elder as the words are used interchangeably in the parallel passage in Titus chapter 1. But the emphasis with the word overseer is that this person is to have oversight of the life of the church. It's also that they should have oversight of individuals in the church and the sort of general direction of the church. What it's saying is that before God, they are responsible for the church and individuals within it. The Bible says that they're to look after them as those who will give an account. 
So they have to make sure that they keep watch over the people in church. They care for them. They oversee them. But because they are responsible, they're also given authority. They are to lead the church. We'll see more of this as we go through. So they're overseer, and with that comes authority. But they're also an elder. I mentioned before that this word is used interchangeably with overseer in Titus. It's also used later on in 1 Timothy. If you glance down at 1 Timothy 5, verses 17 and 18, it says, Let the elders who rule, uh, sorry, rule well, be considered worthy of double honour, especially those who labour in teach, preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain. And the labourer deserves his wages. The word for elder in Greek is presbyteros, which is where we get our word Presbyterian from. You see all the different forms of church government that you hear about? It was used in the Old Testament and in the New Testament of a community leader. It carries with it the notion of wisdom and insight, normally associated with someone who's a bit older. Here in 1 Timothy we're told that elders are to rule. Now the word there means to stand before or to preside. It's not the word to reign like a king, but it is the word to stand before. Uh, So it does imply an authority, but not like little kings or little chiefs. We're also told that certain elders may well take the bulk of the teaching burden. So it might be that not all elders do the same thing. Some will be more actively involved in the preaching and teaching in the church than others. In our part of the church, we tend to call people like this pastors. So there's no particular reason in scripture why that would be so, since this is a word that describes all elders, as we're just about to see. Because also, elders are pastors. Let me read to you from 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 to 5. Listen to those two ideas put together. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but uh, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. When the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So we see there that an elder shepherds, pastors, as an under-shepherd of the great shepherd. The word shepherd there is the same word that we have for pastor. They care for the sheep as a shepherd does. The only difference, really, is that actually pastors are sheep too. Basically, it's correct to say that though um, that all elders, in that sense, are pastors. In our tradition, like I say, we have the title of pastor for a paid elder who does the bulk of the teaching. That's more of a convention rather than something that has a biblical warrant. As members, the voting procedure for appointing an elder is the same for appointing a pastor. And that's deliberate, because they are they are equal. Pastors are shepherds. So pastors are elders, elders are pastors. They care for the flock, they feed the flock, they provide pastoral care. 
I know of someone, though, for example, who left the church because she had asked for pastoral help and was helped by an elder rather than the pastor. She deemed that that wasn't enough, but elders are pastors. They're not second-rate pastors. All elders, pastors, overseers share in the work. Now, I'm not proposing here that we change my job title uh, from pastor, but please be aware that all three elders, I'm the only elder here this evening, actually, because we've got someone on holiday, someone ill, but all three elders at our church are equal, and we make decisions together, and we pastor the church together. I have more time in my role, but that's because I've been, a, been able to do so by the church providing me a salary, so I don't have to go out to work. But all three of us are pastors. As an aside, you'll notice 1 Peter says that an elder exercises oversight and feeds the sheep by teaching. Yet again, reminding us that these roles are just different ways of describing the same thing. Speaking of teaching, let's look at the last aspect before we look at some implications. They are also a teacher. So in Ephesians 4, verse 11, talking of the risen Christ, it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. There we get the role of teacher mentioned. And we know this is the same role because it's mentioned there. You might think this is making the opposite point, as though there's pastors and teachers. But actually, the, the teacher there seems separate from shepherds, but it's not in the Greek, it reads more like a pastor slash teacher, or shepherd slash teacher. It's one role with two sides. So some people talk about a fivefold ministry, well really it's a fourfold one. The last two are put together. If there is another role here, it's that of evangelist. That's my third one, if you're sort of looking for the third one. But that's a bit beyond the remit of this talk. But it is there as a role in the church. But we've already seen from the passages we've looked at in 1 Timothy 3 and 5 that elders teach. And this passage just confirms it. One of the primary things an elder does is teach. One of the primary ways they exercise their authority is through teaching. Now of course that's a double-edged sword, isn't it? As James reminds us, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with great strictness. So with teaching authority comes great responsibility. Elders, though, are teachers. That is one of the ways that they express their authority. So let me just give you four implications. We're only doing these in 20 minutes at a time, so we haven't got all the time in the world and we can't explore everything. But let me just give you four implications for us this evening. The first one is plurality. One of the things that you might notice as we went through is that in all these cases, the words are in the plural. In other words, there's always more than one elder, teacher, pastor, overseer. So it's good and healthy for churches to have a plurality of leaders. And bigger churches, in general, need bigger teams. Bigger flocks generally need more under-shepherds. So as we grow bigger, as we have been, we need to look at actually appointing more leaders. And these elders are appointed from a, from a lot of people <laughs> doing some of the things that we've talked about in church. So it's not just the elders who teach or pastor others. Actually, all of us are involved in this. And as an elder, you're not appointed to do these things. Actually, an elder is appointed in part because they are already doing these things. And the church recognises their gifts in that area. 
So the first thing is that there are, poor ra- there are a lot of them. <laughs> the second thing is exercising authority. We can see from the various different roles that the elders' role is to lead and direct the church. They are not the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. They're not free to make up the church's mission as though they could just sort of do anything with it. Actually, Christ the great shepherd does that. Uh, Elders are under shepherds. They're also not a class apart from the rest of the church. That's one of the reasons why in our traditions, elders and pastors don't wear different clothes. So you won't see me going around with a dog collar unless it's the Victorian fair and I'm pretending that I'm from another time. We don't go by honorific titles. So you try calling me reverend, or heaven forbid, father, then you're going to get a glare uh, from me. Unless you are, I must say, I'm actually your father. That, that's okay, boys, okay? You can call me father. Everyone else, it's a no. But do you see that they are to lead with authority? That is what they do. They're not a different species, but they have been given authority. And we know this in part because the rest of the church is called to submit to the elders. So uh, there was that in 1 Peter 5, which we read before. And also in Hebrews 13, 17, it says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be no advantage to you. So the church is called to obey its leaders and submit to them. But what sort of authority does an elder have, does a leader have? Well, this has been very much in the limelight recently, hasn't it? If you've been reading the Christian newspapers or following some of the stories. From what we've been seeing, though, in our passages, it's not to be a domineering authority. It should not be the case that a church is scared of its leaders. Nor is it a coercive, underhand authority. You know, the sort of deals being done, plots being carried out. I really cringe when I hear that sort of thing happening in churches. Leaders in the church lead by providing direction and shape to the church. In things like troop deployment in churches, I like to think about who goes where, who does what. Mission objectives under the great mission that the Lord has given us. The leaders decide the plan, but then they lead by example. Being examples to the flock, Peter says. So it's not that the leaders of a church will shout from the sidelines, Oi, go off and do that. Actually, they lead from the front line. They should be involved in the life of the church. They should be involved in doing the things they're asking others to do. Which is why character is so important, which is why Paul starts with that. Because an immature Christian can sometimes give good advice about how to run a church, about how to do things. But they can't say, follow me as I follow Christ. That takes something different, that takes maturity. They lead by example, but they also lead by teaching. Elders teach, which makes sense, doesn't it, being one of the other titles given to them, is teachers. And it would seem in scripture that it is in a more formal way, since all believers are to teach one another. If it was just whoever teaches in church, that would be everyone, wouldn't it? But that is part of the reason why formal elders are needed, because everybody teaches. In the situation with Titus, for example, on Crete, there were many people teaching. And they were teaching all sorts of different things. One of the reasons the elders were put in place there was because they needed the church's stamp of approval on people. 
who could challenge these false teachers. That's part of a reason an elder must be able to teach, to refute and to protect the church from false teaching. But knowing these passages, it is always to teach, not to preach. It's not necessarily saying every elder must be a regular preacher. It may be that their gifting lies elsewhere, in small groups or even in writing. Nor does it have to be that all elders have an equal share of the preaching and teaching. Again, in 1 Timothy, it talks about those especially who labour in teaching and preaching. The word labouring there is literally to wear themselves out. That's what the word means. So some elders will do the lion's share, if you like, of the teaching, and that's okay. But elders teach, they are involved in the teaching. And those last two points lead us to a final implication uh, this evening, which is that they are men only. Because elders exercise authority over the church, and because they teach the church, biblically they are to be men only. Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2 verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. Now, I know that will be more controversial for some than others, but the practice and teaching of the early church was that elders were men. Whereas we can point in the Bible to people who are called deacons who are women, we can't do the same with elders. Now, some points this being a cultural thing or something specific about Ephesus. But Paul starts the section in verse 8 in 1 Timothy with a command to males in every place that we pray rather than argue. Are you listening, blokes? We're to pray rather than argue. That's our command. Let's take that seriously. And then verse 9 starts with likewise, implying similarity. If men everywhere are to pray, then this is what is for everywhere for women. And for a reason for that, he takes us not to Ephesus or to the cultural setting, but back to Genesis. So 1 Timothy 2, 13 and 14. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Whatever that means, it stands because it depends on history, not on culture. There are nuances to this, and there's much more that we could say. We haven't got time to do this all this evening. But I have done a couple of talks on this subject, if you want to hear a bit more, over the last few years, which are on the church website. You can have a chat with me uh, afterwards. But do you see, the last two of the three, the last two things that we see uh, that an elder or a pastor is to do exercising authority and teaching, if we understand that that is what they are to do, then we can understand why there is that specific commandment there. The question in part that we're looking at next week is, does this same prohibition apply to deacons? But leaving the controversy aside for a second, let's rejoice in what God has given us. In Ephesians, the offices of the church are gifts from the ascended Christ to build up the church. Thinking back to last week's talk, these are things that God has given us, practices that God has given us to see the church grow. And whereas we saw great variability in practice in the last week in all sorts of different areas, actually here we see something that's far more specific and has led to far fewer possibilities in the New Testament. Next week will be a bit more complicated, but for now... Let's pray God would help us to understand and take in and pray for our leaders as well. Let's pray. Father God, thank you 
that you have given leaders to the church. Father, thank you that they are not self-appointed. Father, thank you that they don't just uh, shout the loudest, but Father, thank you that they are gifts to the church from you. Father, we pray that you would help uh, myself and the other leaders of the church, Father, to take that responsibility that you have given us seriously. Father, pray that we would be able to lead in the way that it's been talking about in this passage uh, and these passages that we've been looking at. And Father, pray that you would raise up other leaders, Father, to help lead our church, that we might see uh, the church grow and that we might bring you much glory. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.